Welcome to the theater, to the magic, to the fun, where painted trees and flowers grow, and laughter rings fortissimo, and treachery sweetly done. Now you've entered the asylum, this profession unique. Actors are children playing hide and ego seek. So welcome, Miss Eve Harrington, to this business we call show. You're on your way to wealth and fame. Unsheathe your claws, enjoy the game. You'll be a bitch, but they'll know your name from New York. To Kokomo. Welcome to the theater, my dear. You'll love it so. Welcome to the dirty concrete hallways. Welcome to the friendly roaches, too. Welcome to the pinchers from the stagehands. It's the only quiet thing they do. Welcome to the Philadelphia critics. Welcome, Librium and Nebutol. Welcome to a life of laryngitis. Welcome to dark toilets in the hall. Welcome to the flop you thought would run for years. Welcome to the world of fears and cheers and tears. Welcome to the theater with some luck. You'll be a pro. You'll work and slave and scratch and bite. You'll learn to kill with sheer delight. You'll only come alive at night when you're in a show. Welcome to the theater, you fool. You love it so. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to the theater, and more specifically the reunion, of the 1970 Broadway hit musical Applause on the Broadway podcast Backstage Babble. Of course, it is fitting to have this reunion here because the title is the name of the opening song from the show. For those who don't know, the show is based on Mary Orr's story, The Wisdom of Eve, and tells the story of a star, Margot Channing, and her conniving fan turned understudy, Eve Harrington. Martin Gottfried called it a glittering, super professional splash of musical theater and Broadway that hasn't been seen in a long time, and I couldn't agree more. That's why it is so exciting to be able to have today members of the cast and creative team to provide fascinating stories and memories about this show. So without further ado, let's get to introducing our panel. First, we've got dancer Marilyn Dunno, who appeared on Broadway in the original productions of two other shows you may have heard of, West Side Story as Clarice and Gypsy as Dolores. She also danced in Pal Joey starring Bob Fosse in the Sherlock Holmes musical Baker Street, and then again in 1978 in King of Hearts. It's very exciting to have such an accomplished performer in our midst. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> 
And next, we've got dancer Michael Mesita, who also appeared in The Fig Leaves Are Falling, starring Dorothy Loudon, the original cast of Follies. You can see him in the reunion we did of that show a few months ago. And as the horse in Equus, Michael, it is wonderful to see you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And we've got one more dancer with us, Patty DeBeck, who also understands after making her Broadway debut in Applause, she went on to myriad other Broadway shows, including Evita, Seesaw, Pippin, A Chorus Line, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and more. As an assistant choreographer, she lent her talents to the Will Rogers Follies and My One and Only, plus the revivals of Annie Get Your Gun, Bells Are Ringing, and Grease. So Patty, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> and to lend us the perspective of someone not in the cast, press agent Susan L. Showman is joining us. Applause was her first big show as a press agent. And like Patty, she also went on to many more great things, including representing Company, Dancing, Follies, The Glass Menagerie, State Fair, Crazy For You, Sly Fox, Inner City, The Merchant, Miss Moffat, Thieves, Pal Joey, Where's Charlie, and so many more. So Susan, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Charles. And I'm also excited to say next that all of the four living stars of applause are joining us today. And I only regret that Lauren Bacall, Bonnie Franklin, Robert Mandon, and Ann Williams passed away before, before this date. Yeah. Um, so first we've got Mr. Broadway himself, Leora Reams. In applause, he played Dwayne Fox and by doing so created the first openly gay character on a Broadway stage. Since then, he had success with both gay and straight roles in 42nd Street, The Producers, Beauty and the Beast, Lorelei and Hello Dolly. He also directed and choreographed Hello Dolly and an Evening with Jerry Herman on Broadway and appeared off Broadway in Sterling Silver and Potholes and in Sweet Charity on screen. It's so exciting to see you, thank you for. Thank you for doing this, Leora. I always love being with you, Charles. And remember, they never proved a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we've got the playwright Buzz Richards, or as he is known to you, Broadway actor Brandon Maggart. That title of Triple Threat, he's a triple threat, is well earned from his appearances in Kelly, New Faces of 1968, Lorelei, We Interrupt This Program, One Night Stand, and Musical Chairs. He also starred on TV in Brothers and Sesame Street, and on screen in Christmas Evil, The World According to Garp, and more. Brandon, thank you for doing this. Charles, it's good to see you. You've grown up. <laughs> 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 I think I mentioned your opening song in the Backstage Babel. When you first started this show, like, uh, what, 60, 60 shows ago? Yeah. Like your, your, your voice was like very small and tiny. Now you sound like a Caruso. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. And next we've got the leading man of applause himself, Len Carrier, who's here with us today. Sweeney Todd, A Little Night Music, Teddy and Alice Dance a Little Closer, The Dinner Party and The Speed of Darkness are just a few of his famous starring roles on Broadway. He also fills most of America's TV screens on Blue Bloods. And you may also recognize him from his countless other screen appearances, including Murder, She Wrote, the movie of A Little Night Music and more. And it's such an honor to be speaking to you, thank you. Thank you, Charles. Nice to meet you, finally. You too, you too. And last but certainly not least, Miss Eve Harrington herself, oh. the fabulous Penny Fuller. 
From 1963 to 2017, Penny Fuller has lit up Broadway marquees in shows like Barefoot in the Park, Cabaret, and Rex, up until the recent Dividing the Estate, Sunday in the Park with George and Anastasia. She appeared off-Broadway in A New Brain, 13 Things About Ed Carpellati, Henry IV, Southern Comforts, and Love Loss, and What I Wore. She is also an Emmy Award winner for her performance in The Elephant Man, but I know you already knew all that and probably so much more, so without further ado, Penny Fuller. Thank you for Hello. joining us. Hello. Oh, God, no wonder I'm tired. I, what I've done. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and so now let's go on with the, with the reunion. And so I'd love to start by asking you how each of your involvements in Applause started, starting with Susan, because I think you were probably first. Well, no, I don't think I was first. But my involvement... Um, I was working for a very big Broadway press agent named Bill Dahl, and I was the low man on the totem pole. And everybody in the office was working on this new show called Applause, starring Lauren McCall. And everybody in the office was scared of Betty, including me. And so if she would ask them if something was done, they would say yes, because they didn't want to incur her wrath. And then she would find out it wasn't done and she'd kill them. <laughs> and I was... Ah. The yeah, and I was this young press agent and I wasn't manipulative. I wasn't being Eve Harrington or anything. And if she would ask me if something was done, I would say, I don't know if it's not done, I'll take care of it. And one day, because I was honest, and one day I was called into Kipnis and Cash's office and I thought, oh shit, have I been, am I gonna be fired? What did I do? And they informed me that Betty had told them that the only person that she would talk to in the Bill, Bill Dahl office was Susan Shulman. And so at the ripe old age of 23 or whatever I was, I wound up handling what became the biggest hit show on Broadway, thanks to Betty. So it was yeah. very special. Marilyn, how did your involvement with applause start? Uh, well, I, I had known Ron Field. Um, I did the first thing I did for Ron Field was the Continental Bats at the uh, Anzonia. So, and then he did our act. I did the Sullivan show and uh, he called me to come in to do applause. So that's how I, I got in because I'd worked with him. And as I said, he did the act for my sisters and I just worked with him before. And then he called me again to King of Hearts. And that time it's funny because I just got married and I wanted to have a baby, but Ron said, no, you can't have a baby yet because you have to be the crazy a person ballerina in King of Hearts. So I knew, I knew Ron a, a while, yeah, that's how I got him. And Patty, how did this start for you? Well, uh, it was one of my first auditions for a Broadway show. I was non-equity. I had been doing nightclubs, um, you know, uh, working in nightclubs. And so I got my, along with, I believe, Renee Bauman, the two of us got our equity cards with applause. Yeah. So. Thank you, Ron, for giving us that opportunity. So that's that's what started me. So this whole thing about Broadway and musical theater was uh, just a, a brand new experience, which I learned so much and I'm very grateful for. But that's how I got started. I got my card with the show. Yay. And so, Michael, how did it happen to you? Uh, I had done Fig Leaves That Were Falling, which was a really big flop. And then Ann Miller took me into the Broadway production of Mame with her. And then I just auditioned 
happened to audition for the show and uh, was picked by uh, Ron Fields. And uh, I think it was the second audition that I, or second rehearsal that I was there and he took just me because I was going to do a bit with Betty into this big studio and Betty was sitting in a chair in the middle of the studio with uh, headshots all over the floor. And I, and I heard her just grabbing each one and going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and of course, I was like this young chorus kid, you know, and I stiffened up. I thought, oh my God, I, who is this lady? But after that, she and I were very close. It was, she, I thought she was terrific. Brandon, how did the show happen for you? I fell off the turnip truck. <laughs> <laughs> of course ended up did. in New York. And did some off-Broadway and so forth, new faces and everything. Now, auditions. I remember everything about so many wild, crazy auditions I did for shows. I do not remember auditioning for applause. I don't know. Uh, I just remember my agent uh, called me and said me to come into Sardis to meet uh, Diane McAfee, who'd just been hired to be Eve Harrington. And I'd never met her. I'd never met anybody on the show except, except her. So um, I just showed up for rehearsal and, and held on tight. <laughs> and Lynn, how did this how did this come for you? Unlike unlike Brandon, I auditioned four times. <laughs> I was I was in Stratford, Connecticut doing Henry the Fifth. And <laughs> I came in uh, June, twice in June, once in July, once in August. And I thought, you know, what is it with these people? Um, but they, uh, my agent kept saying, oh, they're really interested in you, really interested in you. And uh, finally, the last time, uh, everybody was in the room, in the, in the house, uh, including Miss McCall and our producers and Strauss and Adams and um, everybody. And Ron came up to me after I'd, I'd done the fourth audition and said, Len, Len, I really want to, I really would like to say that it's yours, but I can't, I can't do that. It's not my job. He said, but as far as I'm concerned, you're the guy. And he said, um, tell me again what it is you're doing now. And We were in the Alvin Theater, which faced, the stage door faced the Ansett Theater. And uh, we were bringing Henry V into the Ansett Theater uh, in September for a, a, a limited run. And uh, the posters were up and everything was up in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the windows. And I said to Ron, come with me. And we walked out the door. And I said, that's what I'm doing now. And there were three six foot photographs of me as Henry V. And he said, oh, fuck, what have I done? I'm really sorry. I said, don't be, don't, don't apologize, don't apologize. Just do me a favor, bring everybody out through the stage door so you can point that out to them, would you please? So I, th I, think, I think he did it. Um, and because uh, in the next the next day I got the word from the agents that uh, that I was the guy. Wow! And then Leroy, I believe you were next. Yes. Well, 
it's a very simple story. I auditioned originally, I wasn't chosen. And uh, then on uh, New Year's Eve, uh, uh, I was very depressed and the next day I got a call and they uh, fired Garrett Lewis who had the role and asked me to do it. As simple as that. Now I can get into a detailed, you know, long uh, story about how it all happened in Ron Field, but I don't know whether you want to take up that time now or do it later, but uh, that's how I initially got in the show. And then Penny, I believe you were next. Now, wait a minute, Charles, let me insert something. Uh, I, I said I didn't know anyone. I did know Penny uh, before rehearsal because Penny and I had been married. <laughs> <laughs> we were married on Route 66. Oh my God, <laughs> I forgot that. Oh my In a thing God. Called the wedding with Ed Asner and a lot of other people. That was my second uh, television show. Oh and, and Penny and I were, were married on that show. So, uh, oh. I, hi Penny. Hi. <laughs> Hi, honey. How you doing? <laughs> I think she got cut off again. She's froze. Um, She's froze. So maybe, Leroy, if you want to tell that longer version of the story, that might be good. Of my story or Penny? Oh, no, of your, of your yeah, story. Well, what had happened, uh, I mean, to make a longer story longer, uh, Ron Field, who was the director choreographer, uh, the first time I met him, I was a dancer in California. He came out to do a television variety show and three of us were brought in to audition for him. And at the audition, I wore a blue dance pants, a red and white striped shirt, a blue scarf with polka dots and white jazz shoes. And he didn't even look at me. I didn't get the job. And I mean, I'm not bragging, but I knew I was better than the other two guys. And so then later that year, I danced with Sid Charisse on her television special, which Tony Sharmley had choreographed. And there was a big party and for the premiere. And I was at the party. And then after seeing the show, Ron Field said, I owe you an apology. I didn't know who you were when you auditioned for me. He said, but I couldn't look at you because you look like a fucking American flag. I couldn't <laughs> look at the outfit you were wearing. And I said, well, I said, well, God forbid if I could dance. So fade out on the story. So when I auditioned for applause, I thought, well, you know, he doesn't really like me. But I was told that they were interested, but they weren't. They hired someone else. Very depressed. And uh, so then I got a call on New Year's Day that they had let Garrett Lewis go and they wanted me for the role. And of course, uh, knowing my past history with Ron, I said, I don't go without a contract. And so they, but they wanted me to sign for a year and the money wasn't that good because they were having to pay off uh, Garrett. And I said, well, I'll only sign for six months, which meant we go out of town, I'd only have a three month contract. So uh, that's what happened. And the show was already into a run through situation. So I was having to catch up in the first day of rehearsal. Ron apologized and of course threw me a script and said, you enter into this scene and you go over and you stand by the closet. And I said, well, uh, let me have a fall and I'll be brushing the hair so they know I'm a hairdresser. And I said, Miss Bacall, she said, my friends call me Betty. And I said, Betty. And she said, that's better. I said, I won't touch your hair, but at least they'll know what my purpose is. I went over and I stood at the closet. The scene went on forever. And Ron was directing and finally I raised my hand and said, excuse me, when does this character get out of the closet? <laughs> so Ron, Betty laughed and that was it. That sealed my connection with Lauren Bacall. Mm -hmm. From that moment on, we were glued and we spent time together. When we went out of town, we became those characters basically. And I went to, you know, to dinner with her 
And uh, Lynn, when we were out of town, we all went to dinner and became very close. And uh, as far as the company is concerned, I was very interested in who I would be sharing a dressing room with because I knew there were a lot of people. And of course, I looked down the building. I figured I was going to be me and Brandon. I thought, oh, my God, here I am going to be with a straight man and a, and a, a thing. And so, But we got together. Brandon is from Tennessee. I'm from Kentucky. And again, it was like we had known each other in a former life and have remained so. And seldom in a show, when the show closes, do you keep friends, you professional friends. But all of these people are here today. We have remained very, very close friends. And I'm so proud of that. And it continues on. It's it's a wonderful thing. I'm just sorry Betty isn't here with us. Leroy, speaking of being in the dressing room with me, when we were first started out in Baltimore, and Leroy <coughs> said to me, said after the show is over, people start coming backstage, and Leroy said, Brandon says if people knock on the door, don't let anybody in unless they're bringing pearls and mink to the floor. <laughs> and they came to see Leroy. <laughs> well, at that time, Brandon, I, I wore tight pants on the show and I got a, letter, a lot of letters on my bonds. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> oh, no, I used to get letters. I, I used to get photographs and I used to pin them up on the call board. Uh, you know, people wanting to take me out on dates and stuff. So I used to pin them up in the, on the call board to give everybody a laugh. And it was all because of the tight pants I wore uh, in the show. Silence. Well, I don't <laughs> think we're struck, we're struck dumb, Leroy. <laughs> we're all thinking about those tight pants on you. That's what it is. <laughs> well, let's face it. Some of those outfits were... Uh, I don't think they could throw enough scarves around my neck, oh. scarves and everything. And it was really, I kept thinking, is this their interpretation of what a gay bar is supposed to be? <laughs> you know, <laughs> wearing a jumpsuit with a zipper all the way up the front and all that is really, really kind of nuts. But I have to say that this show, uh, I think uh, probably of all the shows I've ever done, to me, a kid at 21 was the perfect Broadway show from beginning rehearsals till I left. And it was everything that I dreamed Broadway would be. You know, it wasn't any special, that wasn't like Follies or any of those shows. It was just a musical and a really great musical. And I think I had more fun in that show the entire run than probably almost every show I've ever done. And actually, when you think about it, it was a, a, a set of trend because never before in a Broadway show had a gay bar been portrayed or mm -hmm. an openly gay character. And uh, of course, we didn't think so much about it, but when we were in Baltimore and did the first performance, and uh, when uh, Lauren McCall as the character said, Dwayne, how would you like to, to take two lonely ladies out on the town tonight? And the character says, I can't, I've got a date. And she says, well, bring them along. And that was the first outed character. And we didn't think oh. too much about it because we're in show business, but that night there was like a, <gasps> a gasp and then we walked into a gay bar scene and when I walked in I was directed to go up to Bill Allsbrook who was supposedly my oh, yeah, yeah. and I gave him a kiss in the mouth like a that and then the joke was in Panama that I introduced him to Margot Channing and of course they shake hands which supposed to be a laugh well when we walked into the gay bar and I went there was a gasp 
And the, the scene didn't play very well. As a matter of fact, the audience was rather taken back. And the next day in rehearsal, and I walked in and Ron said, Leroy, I said, I know, cut the kiss. It was too much for them. So we just hugged instead. So that seems very calm by today's standards, but it was a big deal back then. It, I, didn't uh, I didn't realize that. Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. of course, one of the reviews in Baltimore said, called us and said it was a lot of homo ho-hum. I've got the <laughs> in my book, yes. So ah, it, it was wow. a big deal when you think about it. Yeah. That was probably written. That was probably written by a homo who only knew how to hold on. That's and and I'll tell you what, Brandon. When he came to the opening night party, he was a very effeminate man with a big opera cape on. So you know, <laughs> there you go. The lady doth protest too much. At least, yes. That it was groundbreaking, and actually, Comden and Green, when they wrote the character of Dwayne Fox, not only did they write him as a gay character, they also wanted him to be black, and uh, that oh. was not done. <laughs> Leroy, do you remember what, what Garrett Lewis, at least, I think you know this, that uh, one of their producers, I don't know if it's Joe Kipnis or somebody, now Garrett Lewis was a, a tall, kind of really handsome, nice guy, talented, but he didn't they said Kipnis or whatever said, I don't know. Every time he comes into the scene with with Bacall, I think he's going to ravish her. <laughs> anyway, he was he was immediately sent to the West Coast, <laughs> where he's from. Yes. Where he's from. There you yeah, go. Yeah, nice guy. Very nice yeah. guy. And he went on to become a set decorator and uh, you know won awards and everything. He was a very talented guy and had great yeah. taste. When I was a dancer in California, he used to give great uh, yard sales because he always wore designer clothes. So we could always, always buy his hand-me-downs for pennies and, you know, very stylish guy, but there you go. You know, I, I was wondering uh, at Len and Penny, if, uh, um, did you continue with the show? Did you do it anywhere else? No, I didn't, no. I went did back. Did you stay with just with the entire run at, at the time? Yeah, I, I was in it for, uh, uh, I think 14 months, uh, just a couple of months over a year. Hmm. And I went back to Minneapolis to the Guthrie Theater. Lynn was the first principal to leave the show. Lynn was I, stayed, I stayed with it for the whole run. Oh. Because yes. I had a whole bunch of children. And you know, I was, I, I'd had so many flops before applause, I can't tell you. And if I had a, I had a check coming in every week, you couldn't have pull me out of that theater. But also, so Brandon, Brandon, you were very lucrative doing commercials, which is all based in New York. So you had a, a side job doing a lot of commercials. Yeah, and, and well, being a waiter and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I had to keep a lot of oars in the water at, at all times. And some of them were in the wrong pool, so to speak. But anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. Boy, I discovered rehearsals around that period and did hundreds of them. Even to California, and you know, it always gave me the money so that I could decide if I wanted to leave or go or not do a show or whatever. It was kind of incredible on a side thing. But yeah, they, I, they, I they, left you did one memorable commercial where you danced on the tabletop. That's like an iconic commercial. With was it Pepsi or what was it? Dr Pepper. Dr. But you Pepper. know, I I I have to confess, I lied to them and told them I I was out sick because they wouldn't let me do the commercial when oh. I got it. And I, I went and did it. I jumped up and down this conference table a hundred times. And I was having so much fun, but for three days I had to sit in a tub 
and not do the show because I was so so sore from doing this commercial <laughs> over and over and over and over and over and over again. But I was always glad that I had the chance to did it to do it. No one really said anything afterwards about it. Well, I left the show and to uh, to be a soloist with Elliot Feld, and 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 then I had also gotten mono. But Betty sent me a beautiful card as that hopefully I get better. And she says, I want to see you on your toes again. And which I thought was really wonderful. But then I went back and I think I replaced uh, um, Mary Beth. And uh, I ended with uh, Arlene Dahl. Yeah, because that's when I, I closed in the show. I opened the show and I closed the show, but I left for a while. Yeah, Ar Arlene Dahl so, yeah, came, came into the show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she, she closed it, yeah. Yeah, she closed it, right? She closed it, yeah, she closed it, yeah. I was there the entire time, like, Ramden. Uh, I stayed, you know, through the closing. Uh, but I do, yeah, remember, and then there was Ann Baxter that came in after That's right. and before Arlene Dahl. Penny, we asked the questions oh. earlier about uh, what, how you got uh, applause. Charles yeah. had asked this all before and you weren't on. So I think you should tell that story of, you know, yes. how you became part of it. Here she is. There, oh, no. there, there she is. Oh, okay. Mike, um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah there you go. You're back. Well, um, I was telling that Hal Prince had flown me in to audition for company. And Hal was really cheaper than David Merrick. Me in, and as I was coming out of the door of the stage door from my audition, this guy passed by, Bill, somebody I can't remember his name now, and he said, What are you doing here? And I said, Well, he said, I'm the stage manager, or whatever he was, of applause, and we wanted you to audition, but they wouldn't pay for you to fly in. And I said, Well, I'm here, so I auditioned, and then I they gave me the script, and I flew back to um, California and the truth of the matter is, I, and I read the script and I thought, oh God, don't let me get this because it's not very good. <laughs> so God <laughs> heard me and I didn't get it. So I was doing a, a television pilot that was written for me, which I thought was quite she-she, except that nobody ever saw it even on the dead pilot scene. <laughs> but as I was washed, in Ore's Beauty Salon on Santa Monica Boulevard, opposite the uh, Palm Car Wash. My head is in the sink and they said, your manager's on the phone. And I said, hello. He said, they want you to fly to Baltimore to uh, replace in mm. applause. I said, oh, really? When? He said, tonight. <laughs> I was on the plane and the next morning I went to um, see the show, the matinee, and Phyllis Ducor, God, how did I get that name? Who was somebody's assistant, Larry Larry Cash. Cash. Yeah. yeah. And she said, and I said, you can't put me in the third row. People will see me and they'll know why I'm here. And she said, no, you can say you're visiting your aunt in Baltimore. So yeah, right. So I'm sitting there and out comes the chorus and Jean Foote did a pirouette and went, ah, Penny Fuller's in the audience. So that was the end of that secret. Remember him? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, I remember. Unforgettable. So I replaced, I replaced Miss Bacall. I mean, I didn't replace Miss Bacall. I went to meet Miss Bacall and I thought, oh, please, God, let her know that if I'm good, it'll only help her because her reputation preceded her. And uh, so that was on Saturday and I opened the next Friday night. 
Wow. 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 That's a lot. Yeah. I thought you didn't open until we went to the next town. No, I opened in Baltimore. Baltimore. I had three. Yeah, because, um, uh, well, I don't think I can tell that story in front of you, Brandon. But anyway. Hey, you can tell anything in front of me because I got stories. Okay. (laughs) We all have stories. Yes. Well, I said, you know, I think, I don't know, I couldn't do it today, but I was young then. I said, I think you need to fatten up Eve's autobiography that she's telling in the dressing room. You know, just it was just too slim. So they did. And so I had my rehearsals and I mean nothing bad about this, everybody. So I'm sitting there, it's my dress rehearsal, full orchestra, everybody. I mean, I I was so impressed. And Larry Kasha, God bless him, brought me a tuna sandwich. And I'm just before the rehearsal and I'm eating. He said, okay, honey, it's time to go. And I said, okay. And I looked up in the audience and out in the audience was Ron Field and my predecessor. Eve Harrington, the predecessor. And I said, oh, why is is she there? And uh, Larry said, well, she heard that you got all those extra lines. So she said, if she, this is what was told me. She, if she had those lines, she wouldn't have been fired. Well, I have to tell you, that's how I got my character because I thought, okay, honey, you want to see why you're not doing this show? Watch. This <laughs> was born. <laughs> okay, the door opens. <laughs> now I spoke with Diane. Yes, her name is Diane McAfee. Uh, we, matter of fact, now we have two grown daughters who are both marvelously successful singers. Fiona's uh, the singer-songwriter of her generation. Maud sang at the. Anyway, everybody knows that story. No, but, they, not necessarily. Tell their names, Brandon. Yeah. Well, uh, um, Maud Magar, uh, is, she's known concerts all over the world. And sure. she played at the, uh, her, uh, my favorite place to go was the Oak Room at the Algonquin. She played there for seven years, <laughs> a month, at least a month. Every, every, and I used to go there for the openings and, oh my God, I loved it. The Oak Room and the Algon where the table wasn't there anymore. But I loved to go to her shows and everybody come. It was just, it was old time, wonderful New York. And it stayed that way until, until they closed. And of course, she, she went back and she, of course, married now and has, has a kid. And that the, her little sister, Fiona, uh, <laughs> and Maude was born while I was doing a show with uh, that Betty and Adolph were had written a lot and Phyllis Newman was directed and Maud was born during that show. But now Fiona was born while I was doing South Pacific with Howard Keel and Jane Powell, but her name is Fiona Apple. And she's the singer songwriter and she's won three Grammys this year and whatever. So anyways, I, I spoke to Diane yesterday. I said, you, you better refresh me about some of this thing because I just saw Penny yesterday talking about how she was going to show you how to do this, you know, and so, so I said, oh, she said, oh, and, and what, close your mouth, Penny. Uh, <laughs> and she, she said, I said, Penny said that, that you were, that she, you came out to do the, re, 
that she came out to do a run through or something and she looked in the audience and you were sitting there with Ron Field. And she said, I did. I never sat in the audience with Ron Field to watch Penny. Said I only saw Penny one time backstage, and I was telling her how to somebody about trying to help her with the costume change, about something about the shoes and the purse. If you do this first, or that kind of thing, was helping her. And she said she probably saw that Betty Compton, you know, had dark hair too. So maybe Penny looked out into the audience and thought she saw me, but it wasn't me. Anyway, oh, by the way, I'm going to end up on that, but, but I'm not going to end up there. But uh, later on, Diane went on to do it with Patrice Munsell, uh, Alexis Smith, and Arlene Dahl. And that was before we got back together and had the two children. And I, that's enough of me now. <laughs> Where'd Penny go? She seems to have gotten cut off again. Charles? Oh, yeah, uh, may yeah. I ask a question I've always been curious about? Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering if all of you recall, you know how political Betty was. And it was during the Vietnam War, uh, it was raging while we were doing the this, this show. And I, oh, yeah. I can't remember what happened, but that, the audience was going wild, cheering and everything at the applause at the, when we were taking our bows. And all of a sudden, Betty stopped for a moment and said, can we all have a silent moment to protest the Vietnam War. And, mm. and there was a moment of silence and then people were getting up booing at her and booing at us. And there was all this commotion. Do any of you remember that? Yeah. It really oh, oh, yeah. stage it's in my mind. And they quietly brought down the curtain and all of us were kind of shocked. We just kind of backed away. It was a really, it was really something, especially when the people were like all for the show originally until she said that. And then the ones who were against it or whatever their political association was. Well, there was, was a stage uh, hand, Michael. We kind of skulked off, hands. I think. The stage but, hands were, the stage hands started against McCall too. And so they yes, were- Yes, you're right. That's the right. the stage hands put up yeah. the American flag backstage and was, was a big thing. But Betty McCall was very political. First time, you know, when Adelaide Stevenson ran for president back then, I didn't even know her back then, but he was on the front page of the of the uh, of the Life magazine, and the soles of his shoe was worn out. Betty Bacall championed him back then at that time, so she was very political, in uh, uh, as progressively as we, most of us are progressive Democrats now. I don't know about everybody on the screen here, but but anyway, I she remember, was. I remember it. It began to feel when a curtain came down, it felt kind of dangerous now, because of yeah. the stage hands and everything were they were booing too. But you must remember that Catherine Hepburn was also running at that time, and she had called Betty and asked her to do that to make the speech. And I think that it was also oh, involved with the Kent State shooting. The yes, oh, is that it what was. it was? It was Kent yes, State. Yes, I think you're right. That's really oh. what it was. It wasn't the Vietnam War, it's about Kent State. And uh, Betty said a moment of silence because of the tragedy that happened. And it had to do with that, but that's really what it was. And uh, Betty was in cahoots to do that with uh, Catherine Hepburn. And I never knew that. took it a, a step further. And then of course, the thing about putting up the American flag. Yeah, that's all, that's, that's, that's what happened. Wow. You know what it was that really strange? It, it's the same thing it's, it's happening today. The, the, all the stage hands, we know being in a show, you're friends with the stagehands, with the dressers, you know everybody's story. But a lot of the stagehands had been in wars before that. And if you said anything against the country, 
or, you know, the president or whatever, no matter what, they took that as like against them because it's, it's really strange and it's the same thing today. I think uh, Penny is back or maybe she wants to say something. I can't Hi, think Penny. I just want to say to Brandon, <clears throat> to say hello to Diane because I have two uh, feet notes, footnotes to that story. I didn't, it was Larry Kasha who told me that was Diane out there. So when you die and go to heaven, you ask Larry about that because that's what he said. It wasn't Betty Comden, but that's not the point. That's not the point. The other story, wait, now I forgot what the other story is. Oh, shoot. Oh, I know, just this last year when we were all Im implanted in our homes, Maud, uh, not Maud, uh, Fiona was on a lot of uh, stuff, talking about her new stuff. And I watched her and I listened to her and I cried and I said, you would not be here if it weren't for me, and you are genius, and I'm so glad you're here. So I never was against Diane in any way. I just, it just was like, it gave me the strength to say, I'm Eve Harrington, I'm gonna show you how to do it, Miss Bacall, Miss Miss Diane McAfee, you know, that's all. It, uh, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, back up here one minute. I appreciate that, thank you. I'll tell, I'll give Diane your, your blessings there, yeah. greetings. But why would you, why were you, was, why was Fiona here because of you? Well, aren't you her father? Yes. Well, if I hadn't come in, maybe you all wouldn't have gotten married. Oh my God. That's <laughs> a way to look at it. Yes. I, that's, I don't know who else would look at it like that way. As a matter of fact, when Maud sang at Lynn Redgrave's, at Lynn Redgrave's uh, memorial, yes. and you came, that only time, that's the first time I'd seen you, you came up and told her the same story. And I it's said, it's the same thing. I said, what's that got to do with Maud being here of whether you replaced her mother in a show? I, so anyway, I shouldn't say any more about that. Well, I'm just saying uh, that's the good that came out of it. If she had to, if she had to not be in the show anymore, the good thing is she got you, those two beautiful women, and you. It's hard to follow your story, Penny, but okay. okay. I would like to interject here. I would like to interject here because I, I am a, I'm going to be the uh, compromised person here to talk about that. Uh, that one of the problems with the show. Uh, when they cast the show originally, you must remember it was Ron Field's first uh, as a director. Mm -hmm. And what had happened in the casting situation, it was the total opposites they were looking for. Bacall was blonde. Diane McAfee was dark. Bacall was from a certain period. Diane was more contemporary. And in her singing too, she had a, a unique kind of legit voice, but it was also contemporary. So they were looking for that kind of balance. And that's what they did. And I think that when the show got out of town, I think that what Diane had needed was a director to have taken charge and Ron was not necessarily that. And okay, Leroy, let, let me stop you right here on that if you don't mind, I'm apologize. Yeah. So I, I told Perch, as I said, Diane and I had the same agent, so we were friends. We, I didn't know Penny before, but uh, 
Otto Perchner, the assistant stage manager, called me in Baltimore and he said, Brandon, you, you, I got bad news. You have to tell Diane she's uh, being uh, fired. She's being replaced. I said, oh. I said, why? I said, well, they figure, and it was true that, that she wasn't as strong, of course. Who's a, who had the hell else is strong? Maybe Penny is strong as, as on stage in scenes as Bacall. I don't know. But Diane was young, which the character was supposed to be, a waif coming off the street and young. And he said it wasn't a challenge. I said, I said, uh, I called Ron Field. I said, Ron, I didn't know, I didn't know that, that Penny, uh, uh, she'd been replaced. I said, Ron, she's not a challenge. I said, what challenges an older actress other than, more than a younger actress? A younger, young, beautiful actress that's a challenge on stage. Okay, I said, well, I understand that her voice is light, like Leroy said, and that is that was a problem. I can see is because it was lyrical and light. And I said, what she needs to be seen is a challenge. Penny was in the audition scene. It was it was uh, it was like a, it was set up by the stage manager holds it holds up the. He says, uh, he says a line or something, and then, and then Eve Harrington says her thing, and, it, and it's over. And everybody said, you got the part, that kind of thing. So I said, Ron, you have to see Eve Harrington's 11 o'clock number in that audition scene, and it has to be that the audience doesn't know it's an audition scene. I said, it has to be seen that she's on stage with the stage manager, and she's doing uh, uh, raging, like Penny said that she was, I'm going to show her how to do the part. That would have been the perfect way to do that scene. It, it And uh, showing the audience the power that this young girl came out of that blossom and do it. And, and, we, and I rewrote the scene for, and, and did it. He said, well, do it. And I took Diane over and we did it. And he said, oh my God, that was wonderful. Said, oh, she, he said, but I got to tell you, one thing says she's already been replaced it's too late i said no he said but i want you to do it i said well, why 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 do it anyway he said i just want you to do the scene okay so then the next day or whatever it went and everybody cash had kipness all everybody betting adolf and everybody was there i don't know if lynn you were there or not maybe just the production people i don't know and we did this scene and uh, Diane actually reverted back to playing it the other way rather than, because I let her do it with Tom Urich, stage manager, rather, rather than with me. And he didn't know the lines. Anyway, when it was over, they, everybody said, oh, good. And they, we left. And I said, oh, God, this has been a disaster. And here come Betty and Adolph towards me. And I said, oh, well, I'm fired too. Oh, then he walked up and, and he said, he said, Brandon, I said, oh, and I swallowed and I thought about all the turnips on the truck. And they said, we just want to thank you so much for giving us a new look at that scene. I said, okay, I, blah, 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 thump for, thump for. And then they were gone. But they, they did make, which, which I would, took me three or four lines to do something. They did it in a line or two, which made it better uh, so to show that she was a really act, good actress. Anyway, that's the end of that story. That's um, can I interject something? First of all, that's information I didn't know. And thank you for sharing all these things. All I want to do is say it's 
we're on vacation right now and we're driving and we're about to arrive somewhere. So I'm going to have to log off, but to even get to see you for this short amount of time. And it was my first Broadway show and I learned so much from all of you. And, you know, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I also, I hope we'll talk about later, although I'm going to log off now, all of the parties that we had when people left and all the different things of entertainment that went on. I believe it was intermission, unless it was after the show, I don't remember. But everyone, it was just to talk about what a great family it was. And I love you all and thank you for teaching me so much. And I hope our paths cross again soon. I'll see you on wherever, Facebook, the internet. I'll see you out and about and be safe and take care and much love and bye. bye. Good to see bye. you. Hi there, Ken Billington here. And on applause, I was the assistant lighting designer. I assisted at the great Theron Musser, and um, it was like 1970, and um, I had assisted on a number of Broadway shows, and Applause was actually one of the last shows I assisted on, um, then I went off and had my career. So um, I remember Applause fondly. Um, and some of the things I remember um, was, it was probably one of the first shows on Broadway that used video. Now, we think nothing about video now. I mean, we have video projectors in our living rooms, you know. But in 1970, video in a show was unheard of. Um, and it was used in the opening sequence, the Tony Award sequence, um, as the, uh, the Tony Awards played. And then um, uh, she came out to take her Tony and all of that. And it was three quarter inch videotape, which was the old fashioned thick videotape run by the sound department. Also in act two, we'd had video projection, which was in its infancy in those days uh, for, um, it, was a, it was a montage of how, um, Eve had gotten ahead. Um, it was cut ultimately because it was not necessary. But I remember there was a lot of, it was a big deal having all this video in the show, unheard of in those days. Um, so a groundbreaker there. Um, and as we did the road companies and everything, the video, because it was so integral to the um, beginning of the show, it uh, stayed there. So, uh, but it was TV monitors in those days. I, down in the left and right. Um, and it was, the show went out of town and the show was good. And the show was always good. It was um, well-written, had a good score. Um, but I remember Ron Field directed and choreographed and Joseph Kipnis produced it. And there was a day that he, decided Ron Field didn't know what he was doing or something, you know, Ron Field was doing a brilliant job. Uh, and he called Gower Champion to come down to Baltimore and see the show. So uh, Gower shows up and watches the show and 
uh, Kipnis says to him at the end, well, what do I do? He said, Gower said, I'll take the job right now. He said, really, you'll come fix it? He said, no, I don't have to change anything. You just put my name on the program and it'd be a hit. You're crazy to get rid of Ron Field. He's giving you a big hit. And our champion went home and the show was a big hit. So it was just a little bit of panic on the way of uh, the producer. Um, just uh, not just panicking about, you know, some line didn't get a laugh or something. But that's why you go out of town to solve those problems. Um, and it went from Baltimore to Detroit and then from Detroit into the Palace Theater, where it ran for a long time. And then we opened the national tour in Toronto with Lauren Bacall. And then we did a non, no, it was equity bus truck with Patrice Munsell as, um, and then it, I think the second national was Elner Home. Oh boy, I, I don't just thought of that one. Um, she replaced Lauren Bacall after it left California. So um, it was done and then did it in London. Uh, I went over and did it for Tharon in London with Lauren Bacall, uh, where it was also a big hit. And that's where they made the TV special, which I don't even know if you can find it on YouTube, but there it is. I, I think to get back to what we were talking about earlier about uh, the applause, the writers did not have rights to the screenplay of All About Eve. All they had rights to was the wisdom of Eve. That's why the characters were changed and a lot of the business. And then later they did get permission. They did get permission in the beginning to use fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. But they didn't have access to the screenplay material. And when they did the television special, they put in the car scene with Margot Channing. So they got more issue, but that's the way the show's in. Because a lot of people always ask questions about why didn't they have those, that marvelous character of uh, Addison DeWitt and all of that. Well, they didn't have the rights to it. And uh, that's why the show was done as it was. And the, the thing about the casting of the two Eves uh, that Ron, uh, people may not know this, but when we were out of town, there was a time when they were going to replace Ron Field as the director. Oh. And, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I kind of remember that. And I was there and I was with Bacall. And uh, Bacall said to them, quote, well, let me tell you this. If Ron Field is not going to direct and do this show, that's who I bought the show with. And if you want to change him, then get yourself another leading lady. Well, Ron put it. it Ron put it this way to me. He said uh, he was very uh, shaken by a meeting that they had. And he, he said something about cement shoes and, and the Hudson, if he didn't <laughs> comply. But, but the, the thing- well, I have, Leroy, I have... do you remember too that uh, in Baltimore, the, the speaking of that scene, the Connecticut scene, hmm. Uh, it wasn't, it, the scene was there, but it was just blah, 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 and it was over. So over the time, before we, I think we opened, Det what was the next place, Detroit? Detroit. Yeah. Detroit was yeah. next. The, they got together, Betty and Adolph and some other writers, I don't know, all got together over the weekend and, and, and put together that song, Good Friends, uh, and made the scene, and, and, and so it it made a, it made a filled a big place in in the show right there. Otherwise, it was it was just a throwaway scene. But anyway, that's it. 
But I, I think to go back and just finish up the thought about uh, the two eaves is that I, because I, I can be objective about that because I was a replacement too. And the combination of the personalities too, and Penny was an experienced actress. And I remember the first day she came in for her uh, rehearsal and everybody was a little nervous because I was a replacement. Suddenly she was a replacement and everyone got a little insecure. But what Penny did because of her experience, she didn't need to be directed. She came in, she had her concept. And I remember that in one of the things Ron said, well, you know, she's a young girl. And Penny said, no, she's not a young girl. She's a mature woman. And she's a woman, Ron, that's the difference. And I think with Diane being so young and with that extremes and the two personalities, I think Penny was more of a threat and Penny didn't have to be directed. And uh, she made, I know when she walked into the scene uh, and she looked at all of us that very first day of rehearsal, she looked at all of us and then she looked at Bacall and she did something with her eyes. And I said, look out because she, she knows what she's doing and she did. And the difference, because the show didn't change that much, as I remember, from Baltimore to Detroit, but Penny's performance in that show made a better review reception in Detroit. So whatever it was, it worked with the combination of the call with Penny. And, uh, and Diane, of course, went on and did it with the other ladies. And it was what she was wonderful when she did it. It was just the combination of the concept and how she was directed. And I think, as I said, as she had a more experienced director, it probably would have never happened. But when Penny came in, she didn't need direction. And with her uh, ability, she made the difference. And, and I, I think, Leroy, I think that was, the, it, it was tragic, tragic for Diane in one aspect, but, but it was better for the show. Yeah. Penny was, Penny, Penny came up to me, uh, I forget it was further, it was the, run through or whatever. And she said, Brandon said, I want to thank you. Uh, I said, what for? She said, well, I know you were friends. And I said, Penny, come on, we're going to do a big hit show here. And you're going to be great in this show. And we'll do it. And, and we did and it became a wonderful, great show. And I and I'd love I'd love to Lynn, I'd love for you because you were there working with the two of them and you were the male there. So I, I would love to hear your reaction to all of this. Well, it was it was a little uh, it was a little rocky. Um, I know Betty was was a little iffy with with Diane because she didn't quite know what 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 it was what was missing. But uh, when when Penny arrived on the scene. Um, it just everything just changed. It it was just right the piece of the piece that would been that had been missing, and I think everybody, all of us, kind of went aha. This it's it's a shame that uh, that Diane's going to have to go, but obviously this was a really smart move on right. their part. And uh, so remember, I was it was my first show too. Remember. Um, so I was kind of a rookie there, and I was, you know, playing. I was standing back trying to figure out uh, if maybe we were all going to be replaced. Right, and uh, everybody was. But the the thing between uh, with Penny's performance, and I I have said this, the weaknesses in the show uh, 
were glossed over much better with Penny because she, as I said, she took control. And I credit Penny with the show uh, being the reviews we got in Baltimore and what we got in Detroit. And I think sure. a lot of that depended on Penny Fuller's performance. And I think that artistically, her strength made the show better. And I think you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I recall, I I recall, a, mo I recall a moment when uh, the way we found out she was being replaced uh, was uh, a mic was opened and two of the stagehands mentioned it on a loudspeaker <laughs> throughout the dressing rooms and everything. And they said, oh yeah, she's, she's going to be gone. They said something like that. I remember we all just stopped it because it, I, can I felt, tell you about I felt embarrassed for her because I thought, what an awful thing to have to yeah. hear. You know, Howard Call. <laughs> Howard Call was in his name. Howard Call. And I heard it in the dressing room. And all of a sudden you hear, what? Uh, Diane's being replaced, uh, said, well, a friend of mine saw the run through in New York and said he didn't like her at all. And I said, oh, my God, I know this is going. I went down the hall and opened the door to Diane's dressing room and she heard it. And I said, uh, she said, wave me off. I got a show to do, you know. Yeah. It was, it was a, kind of an awful moment. Effect, when she closed, <laughs> you might remember, Mike, there was some tears in some eyes. And not not that she was you know it, because it was a tragic story. It, you know I, that's a whole backstory with her. When I fell in, well, her parents had been in show business. When I met her at, at Sardi's, when Peter Serigetti, uh, I didn't know her. She didn't know me. Her her mother had been in the George White scandals. Her, mother, her grandmother had been a ballerina at, at, at the Hippodrome. Her father was clarinet for Harry James Band. And as I say, wow. I'm on the, I never met anybody in family was in show business. And I mean, I know I like the Barclays of Broadway. And I like the, you know, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you. I thought that was the greatest story ever. Oh, I never knew that. But it ended that way in that show business, and that it turned out that was the best thing. Yeah. I, I, I would like to, to, to just bring up a thing about Lauren Bacall, uh, that people must remember that to take over a role that was done successfully in the movies by Betty Davis was a big chore. And this was Betty carrying the show. And she wasn't a singer dancer per se, but she was musical and she had great style, but she had so much pressure there. And I'll never forget when we did our gypsy run through in a theater, because we actually, in those days, we auditioned in theaters and we did the gypsy run through in a theater. And I remember that day, mm -hmm. And uh, during that short period, I can't explain it to you, but I had a kinship with Betty. I can't explain it, but it was there. And I saw her waiting in the wings and she was visibly shaking because as I remember, like everybody in show business was out in the audience that day, like David Merrick and Hal Prince and little, little, little. And Betty was really nervous and no one would go near her. And she was visibly shaking. And I went up to her and I grabbed her hands and I said, why are you so nervous? It only depends on you. <laughs> she laughed and she said, you son of a bitch. She said, don't leave me, stay here. I said, of course I'm gonna stay here. And that was our little thing. If you remember before every performance, I was in the wings on stage left, holding her hand. And that was the hand that she let loose of when she walked out on stage. And it was set that day of the gypsy uh, run through, but the show would have been a hit with or without anything but Lauren Bacall 
that was the star. She was going to do the business. And it was the first time in her career where she was doing a musical and that she was carrying a big Broadway production. And she's the thing that made it all work. And I was That's right. so thrilled that she got the Tony. And, and it was the first time she stood on her own without Humphrey Bogart or this and that. It was a, a triumphant moment. And to see her carry that with that confidence and stuff. And uh, she was one of the great people in my life. Uh, I loved her to death. I knew Lauren Bacall, I worked with her, but I also knew Betty Persky when we were alone. And I loved yeah. her to death. And uh, Lauren- That was Betty's Bacall, real name in case people don't know. And Lauren Bacall, yeah. listen, uh, I have a shrine to her, what she did with my life and what she did with all of us, how she affected all of us and that time that we had together. And I know how important when Lynn was the first person to leave the show, that Betty made us do this big party for Lynn because um, you no, know, she, she obviously she loved Lynn and she loved him till the day she died as we all did. And I have to say, because you're standing there, Lynn, you were the first straight man who ever said to me, I love you. My father never said it to me. My brothers never said it to me. And you were- What about me? Well, you, well, darling, we did more. But <laughs> the thing that I want to say can't prove is the thing. that I remember it was Christmas and Lynn came into my dressing room and tossed a present to me. And I opened it up, it was from uh, uh, Henry Bendel's and, and it was a beautiful, I think it was that, that was the place you shopped, Lynn, a beautiful tie, which I treasure. And I said, Lynn, I don't have a present for you. And he said, I don't want a present. I just want you to know that I love you. And that's the first time a straight man ever said that to me. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I love you, Lynn. And, you know, that's why we're all friends. I love you, Brandon. So, you know, well, my now, let me tell you, happened let me, with that yeah, show. Yeah, let me tell you about, about Lynn Carrier. He oh, was please. the centerpiece. <laughs> he was the centerpiece. Believe me, he held everything together. I, I think he held Betty in check too. I want to talk to Marilyn a little bit about Ron Field because I know uh -huh. that you had a close relationship with him, not just in applause. Yes. But in a few shows. Right. Yes, yes. Well, as I said, the first thing I did, I think it was the Continental Baths at the Ansonia. And uh, then with I ben did uh, a lot of uh, what? Uh, Sullivan shows because he did a lot of that. And then he choreographed our act because I also had two sisters. They were, we were all in shows at the same. Uh, in fact, when I was in uh, West Side, Dorothy was in um, Mr. Wonderful, Lillian was in um, Little Abner. And at that time was when Ron Field uh, did our act because he was also going with uh, Ron Lewis, who was a choreographer at the Latin Quarter. And so we would rehearse at the Latin Quarter uh, to do our act. So then, so, and then I did a, a applause. And then, as I said, I did King of Hearts. And that was one of my favorite shows that Ron did, that I did. And he was supposed to do another show, he told me. And then that's when he got very, very sick. So I, I adored Ron. I did. I thought he was a wonderful choreographer. Yep. Yeah. You said, oh, and my it, sister also did the Olympics. He was fun to work with. Pardon? He was yes. fun to work with. But you I know, love, I love that. I love working he would, he would, like, if he wanted to demonstrate something, he would do it and you would just say, oh yeah, that's the way I should do it. He was, he was wonderful. He was, yeah. I mean, can I say, he was better than working for Jerry Robbins. <laughs> and also, <laughs> I have, I have, I have, I have and also, Ron, good... Ron Field as a, uh, 
a choreographer and director with Betty, he handled her with kid gloves and he gave her a lot of confidence. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it was a very strong relationship with the two of them too. And also Ron's choreography and she's no longer a gypsy and the, 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 yeah. and the bar scene was really yeah. wonderful. And he was a very creative guy and his work in cabaret is the wonderful. best ever. It was just incredible. He was indeed, but you know, uh, as far as being a director, but you know, and being an actor too, I think that all of us including, uh, you know, Penny, Len, and Brandon, and all of us, usually if you're an actor, you should know what you're doing. And we didn't necessarily need uh, Ron Field to tell us that, but we just did it. And I think that made it all smooth too, because he picked the right people. And- uh, Wait, well, let me tell you a story. Uh, this is something that, that I've, uh, I've never forgotten. Uh, we were nine months into the run and I was on stage and it seemed to me that something was going wrong and, and it wasn't right. Uh, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I called Ron and I said, I told him my, my problem. I said, would you come and, and see if, if I'm just being nuts or whatever? And, and he said, Okay, so I said, just don't tell me when you're coming, just come and then come backstage. So he did, he showed up one knock on the door and Saranza, he said, I watched it. And uh, this was like uh, two or three days after we'd spoken. And uh, he said, I'm really proud of how good it is and how strong everybody still is in, in their roles. And I said, well, he said, do you still feel the way you, you explained to me on the phone? And I said, yeah, I said, I can't figure out what it is. And he said, well, the only thing I can think of is that maybe you're not listening as the character. Maybe you're listening as Len now. And nobody ever said that to me before. And I went, oh, maybe. Hmm. And he said, go back, think about what it was like in rehearsal and go back to that and, and see if that doesn't spark something in you. And he was absolutely right. I was, I was listening as Len, I wasn't listening as Bill Sampson anymore. Mm. And the, I know he, he was absolutely right because when I did a little night music uh, at exactly the same time in the run, that happened to me and I went, I, I know what this is. And, uh, and it disappeared after that. So he was, uh, he was a pretty astute guy. Well, uh, and also I think I while, while we're all reminiscing, I, I would like to bring up Bonnie Franklin, who, you know, yeah. whose character had absolutely nothing to do with the plot of the show. And yet she had the big production <laughs> number, which stopped right. the show, which made no sense to me whatsoever because it should have been Eve's number. You know, she should have been talking about the applause like it was on the film. But Bonnie Franklin doing that number got so much attention and uh, I just have, to remember Bonnie because I loved her to death and uh, till the day she died, we were so close. And I just want to give her credit for making that number work mm -hmm. and what a joy and a pleasure she was to be with, although her character yeah. had nothing to do with the plot. <laughs> Penny. I just want to say one thing before I disappear again, because I feel like I've been, I don't know, I feel raw from all the, when I keep, disappearing 
from this thing. And I just want to say, just remember, it had nothing to do with Diane. Just remember that Anne Baxter was not a girl. Right. Eve she was a woman. And I, said that, I said that earlier, Penny, and you weren't you weren't on with us. But 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 go on with it. Explain it, please. Well, I'm just saying that that's what it, because a girl, a young girl, is not the same as a woman whose one chance, whose one chance at anything. She's had a husband who died in the war. She's blah 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 blah, and she's watched her, and she knows. And she's there, and and she's in, and it's it's her one chance at life, and all those years of suppression, or repression, suppression, whatever it is, <laughs> she gets her shot, and she takes it, and because I was no longer a girl, but I was girlish, I could play that fine line between a girl and a, a woman, and if that's what it was about. That's what it was about. And, you know, my experience, but I mean, not my experience to be able to uh, exhibit that. But, I, okay, so now I can disappear and not feel like I've been, I don't know, I just feel so bad. Penny, I, I hope I, you heard what, what, what we were saying about you while you were gone. Yeah. <laughs> How could I hear what I was saying about me while I was gone? I was gone. <laughs> We'll have no, cocktails. But, no, but we we'll were have talking cocktails about and I'll tell how you. you how you came into the show and, and kept it afloat and kind of made the difference in the world and we oh, became you. a hit. So I you weren't know. thrown away, I my dear. Appreciate that. Thank you. No, I and I say uh, that's but that's that was the thing because they made the mistake on the tour again. You know, they cast a young girl and not a woman who was a girl or could be a still a girl but who was a woman who was about to have nothing or everything and they mm. were played with me in in on the road so they made the mistake again they didn't understand but mm. i'm not i just wanted to say that because i i'm sitting around here thinking that I'm, I'm not i'm not no, I've, I've got let, it. Let, wait, 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 let me tell you one thing about ann baxter yeah and i i've told this to charles before that um, when she came into the show, speaking of that whole thing of her, her being Eve Harrington before, and now she's Margot Channing and Penny standing in the wings looking at all these the, the characters going. And uh, opening night, I told you, I think every gay man in New York was there. <laughs> and when, 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 when Ann Baxter came on the stage, the roof, came off and flew halfway down to Sixth Avenue. <laughs> and it was just, it, it was incredible. The next night, just people that bought tickets from Arkansas and whatever in the audience, and it was death. Yeah. There was nothing. And we came out to do the scene, the Connecticut scene, and she's ready to go and she looked at me and said, she said, Brandon says, what a dish of crow this is. <laughs> Well, but she was a trooper. She went on, she did great shows. And she went for She's standing in the wings once she started to go on. I happened to be standing beside her. And it's like like the first, not the first night, but right away. She started to go on and the stage hand had hung something in the it was hanging down, had a had a hook on it. 
and she started to go and she leaned back like this to go on and that hook caught her wig. And she went on, she went, ah! <laughs> went on and did the scene yeah. like it happened. Yeah, well, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about the time that Betty Davis came to see Ann Baxter. Yes, yeah. I remember her in the and, wings. And Penny, Penny oh. you've got to tell this story because it was just uh, standing there looking. You've got to tell it. She was oh. in the, the pretend, not the wings really at that point. She was in what was the bathroom or the dressing part of the set. You couldn't see it, but you know there was a door there. And I'm doing the thing and I hear jingle, 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 jingle. I don't have anything to jingle, but I hear all this jingling. And I think, what the hell is that? And I say, and then my husband and blah, 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 blah. Jingle, 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 jingle. And I come off and I said, what the hell was that? And there's Betty Davis with three charm bracelets jingling on, and she had been watching from there. And Annie Baxter had asked her to come before I left because she wanted her to see it with me. And she didn't realize that her bracelets were making all that noise. And that's what that was. And we later became friends in other things, in TV things. And she, we laughed about that for years. Is that what you want me to tell? No, but then also, but at the moment where you came on as Eve and you're standing there looking at, and oh, Baxter as as Margot Channing and then the real Margot Channing behind her in the wings that yes. concentrate to get through the scene. Right, that was a we were all jangled. And the yeah. reason she was in the wings, we were sold out and they couldn't get her a seat. And that's why they put her in the wings so she could see the show. Yes, before I, hmm. Well, I just want to say one other thing, one other story. And that was during the rehearsal for Anne, everybody was trying to be so helpful and they were you know, moving her, touching her and moving her over here and say, no, no, honey, you come over here. And she was, she was like this. And I was, I was, uh, it was awful. And the poor stage manager thought he was doing good. And he was saying, no, no, no. And so they took a break and she went down to her dressing room. And I don't think I could do it today, but I was young. I was not that young anymore, but I was young. And I went down and I said, and I heard, come in. And I said, you listen to me. Everybody in Hollywood wanted that part. Everybody wanted it. But you're the only one who knows how to play Marco Channing. So don't you listen to those people. They're only trying to help. But you follow your instincts and you do what you know is right. Okay, now I'm going to go take a break. And <laughs> it really was uh, helpful because people were really... You know, they were trying to help her, but the worst thing you could do is move some, touch them when they're trying to, you know. Blah. Well, okay. Eddie Nolfi, Eddie Nolfi, who was the dance oh. captain, put yeah. her into the show. And the first day that I rehearsed with Anne, I came in and Eddie was like a little Hitler. He would say, oh, the eighth bar, step, step two, tap, touch the thing, do the thing, eighth bar. Cap. And it was so confusing. And I just whispered in there, I said, honey, all it is is walk, 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 touch, then go back the other way. Walk, 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 <laughs> touch. She said, is that what you're trying to tell me? I said, that's what it is. And she said, and you will not leave my sight from this moment on. And that's because it was, it was all too technical. And uh, and she was <clears throat> wonderful. Anne was terrific in the part. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hey, listen, let's mention Tom Roller. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tom Roller was, uh, was, Crazy uh, Tom. Was his assistant. It was his lover, Brandon. It was his lover. Huh? It was his lover. 
Ron, yeah. he was Ron's lover. Well, I was trying, I said his partner is, I don't know what else, but he was his lover, right, yeah. <laughs> and Tom, oh, I can't tell a lot of things Tom told on himself about his life before this and being, well, I can't tell that, but, <laughs> but anyway, I hadn't seen Tom Rowland for years and I'm out here in California and I, I, I'm having with Marion Mercer and somebody in, in the one of the cafes and I have this dinner and I, I look up and I say, boy, this is delicious. And the waiter said, well, tell the chef. Looked, it was Tom Rolla. Yeah. Tom Rolla yeah. was the chef. Yeah, the chef. Yeah. Then he opened up the, they opened the, uh, the Gardenia, Gardenia room. And it is, of course, Tommy's gone now. He passed away last year. But it, 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 it's the longest running cabaret theater in, in America. It's where, where Maude made her debut. I think, Penny, didn't you sing there? Yeah. Yeah, and Leroy. Yeah. Leroy and everybody we know practically. It's just, it was a wonderful place. And uh, anyway, Tommy, Tommy was great. And he, he, Tommy, married, Tommy married a doctor. <laughs> they were partners in the club. They, hey, and he, Bruce, hey. Bruce Lowen is his name. And he still runs it, I think. And, and it's reopening again, of course, the, the, the COVID thing. It's opening again next month. So anyway, Tommy was a great, wonderful character and uh, rather flamboyant. Yeah, excuse, excuse me, Charles. I have to go. I've got a rehearsal. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, everybody, everybody, everybody this you is work. You. This has been exact, absolutely a delight. Yeah, I'm 74 years old and I can't believe I'm still doing this. But at any rate, uh, I've got a rehearsal about 15 minutes. <laughs> wait a minute, minutes, Michael, so. before you go, all I'm going to say to you is keep it gay, keep it gay. Keep it gay. Keep it We're gay. actually working on that number today. So <laughs> thank you all. I, I, Bye, Michael. You know, Good Len, to see Penny, you. Brandon, Bye. Leroy, Bye. all of you. And thank you, Charles, so much. Oh, I, I love you. doing these interviews with you anytime. Oh, me too. Me okay. Too. Okay. Plus, everybody have a good life. Thank you. Bye. Charles, Charles, I need to go as well. Oh. oh, can would it be all right if I asked you one more question before you go? Or sure. Because I'd love to make sure I don't miss asking you about um Lauren Bacall since you were playing her leading man mm. and what it was like for you to be working with her. Well, it was it was quite extraordinary, actually, and we we became lovers, she and I, uh, during the run of the show. And uh, I I finally had to I, uh, the year was up. I, I'd signed for a year, and and the year was up, and I, I was being called back to uh, the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, and. Uh, I wanted to go back and do uh, do some Shakespeare, so uh, I I opted to get out of the show at that time. Uh, but we uh, we had a wonderful relationship, and we had a uh, extraordinary thing. Everybody in the business, of course, always came to see the show because of Betty, and so we had this ritual that whenever there were royalty, theater royalty, uh, in in the audience and they were coming backstage to see Betty, Betty would say to Leroy and I, come by the dressing room, so-and-so is gonna be here. So I, and uh, uh, one night, uh, 
the Lunts were in the in the audience with uh, Noel Coward, and uh, she said they're here and, and they're coming back. I want you to come in and and, and say hello. And I said, Oh yeah, I'm not going to miss that. And uh, I went back. They got out of costume and got on the street clothes, and I came into the dressing room and. Alfred Lunt met me at the door. He's a very tall man, over six feet. And he had a patch over his, over his eye and said to me, uh, bravo, well done, really, really, really nice job. And Lynn Fontaine was sitting on the couch next to Noel Coward. And she called me over and I, she was seated. So I bent down and she said, she took my hair and she said, don't let your hair fall over your forehead. You have a marvelous profile. <laughs> and she turned to, to Noel O'Coward and she said, doesn't he have a marvelous profile? No. And Noel looked at me and went, I like him straight on, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the I was on the floor. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, and and then this was this has to do with Leroy too because when uh, when uh, the Duke and Duchess came to the show, they were, they came backstage and I came I came back in to say hello. I was sitting there having a drink with them and Leroy came in, knocked on the door and Betty introduced Leroy to them. And Neroy said whatever he said, and he, then he left the room and closed the door. And then a second later, opened it and said, "Oh, thanks for the knot." <laughs> he said to the Windsor knot, right, um, the Duke of Windsor. Oh, thanks for the knot, and went back out. <laughs> and I was or again. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to go now. Oh, okay. well, thank you. Thank you. Thank dearly you. love you, Lynn. Dearly love you. Can't wait to be with thank you soon. You. Thank you, dear. Yeah, love yeah. you. Bye, yes. Heather. Bye, Heather. Bye. Please kiss, kiss Heather for me. I will. Right now. Yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mel Marvin, and I wrote the Dance and Incidental Music for Applause in 1970. And I, I got the job. Um, from Marvin Hamish. Marvin and I were friends. We had worked on a Coke industrial together. It was the, the era of industrials. And um, Marvin had accepted a job doing a show called Minnie's Boys. Um, it was a show about the Marx Brothers. And after he had accepted the job, he got offered applause. <clears throat> so he recommended me for it since we had just been working together. And in fact, I had worked um, fairly extensively with Don Pippin, who was the uh, musical director and conductor of the show. So Don loved the idea. I loved the idea. I was on board and, um, and we got started. And so what was your uh, collaboration like with Charles Strauss and Lee Adams? It was just terrific. I, we. Charles and I got along incredibly well, and I, I have um, known both of them uh, 
off and on, you know, the way things always happen in, in the theater world uh, with people you work with um, for a long, long, long time since. Um, Charles had written a, a wonderful uh, sort of funky score. Um, the piano parts that he had done for the show were really fun to play. And um, working with Phil Lang, who was the orchestrator, and Charles, and, and really uh, taking the music and expanding it into the dance and incidental arrangements was a delight. It, we, I really had a wonderful time. Um, I started out actually working with Ron Field and Lauren Bacall, and Betty and I worked with Ron for about six weeks before we ever went into rehearsal. Um, we worked five days a week, two hours a day in a rehearsal studio on 8th Avenue. Um, I would spend an hour with her working on music and then Ron would come in and we'd spend an hour working on um, choreography. And actually Ron developed a lot of the routines during that period as well. So we went into rehearsal pretty well prepared and she was great what a trooper um we had a wonderful time during that six weeks she and i would often go to lunch together at whalen's drugstore in the corner of 57th and 8th which was there at the time and um and it and became quite quite good friends during that period and we all did i mean the the show was a real um really became a family with Lynn and Penny and Leroy, um, particularly, it was uh, it was quite a wonderful experience for me. And what were some of the uh, changes made to the show? Well, there were a lot of um, refinements made to it, and of course, the dance arrangements changed. You know, every three days, um, and. Uh, and a couple of numbers were rewritten during previews. I know I remember Fasten Your Seatbelts was a new number uh, that was added um, after we had done the show out of town in Baltimore at the Mechanic. Um, other, other numbers pretty much stayed the same, but arrangements changed. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Is there and are there any other memories you'd want to share of of working on applause? I don't know if anybody talked about what happened at the mechanic during the uh, previews. Oh, the first day that the set was up. Did you hear about this? No, no. The first day that the set was up we were in previews in, in the mechanic theater in Baltimore. It was one of the first sets that had tracks and that that was that were remotely activated. Um, and on the first day of text, something went wrong with the system and all of the sets came out at once and crashed into each other. And fortunately, nobody was hurt, but it set us back a few days because they had to do all these repairs to the set. And it was, a, you know, it was just a wild time. Um, I guess my memory of the show was um, the Gypsy Run-Through, um, which we did 
in the theater in New York before we left to go into Tex in Baltimore. Um, we had a whole house full of screaming fans <laughs> uh, who were there to see this. Um, I played everything on the piano. I played the entire score. So um, it was the only time that I got to really perform the show. Um, and uh, it was it was really an exciting, exciting performance. There was also actually one time where um, uh, my friend Aaron Riley, who was in the show uh, in the Joe Allen's number, played the piano on stage and he was out. And they asked me to come in and do the role for a couple of nights, um, just in that one scene. Um, so I played, you know, I played the scene and the first night I also sang his part and they came up afterwards and said, you got to hold back. You were louder than everybody. <laughs> Very embarrassing. Um, but there were, you know, there were just great experiences and, and we all, it, it really, as I said, felt like a family. There were parties at people's houses. We were just all. We all had a great time together. It was a really congenial group, and um, and Betty was was really wonderful in the show, and wonderful to be around. We just all had a ball. But anyway, uh, Charles, the the story about the thing being there in Bacall's dressing room. Uh, I left my poster and I had all the famous people sign the poster. And my, my deal was that in the uh, beginning, I only wanted people whose name was on the poster to sign it. And so I had everybody but Betty Condon. And so uh, Betty Condon was coming to a matinee. And so I told Bacall, I said, so I'm going to leave the poster in your dressing room because she won't be coming up to see me and have her sign it. She said, it's fine, I'll do it. So then after the matinee, I came down. I came there and said, oh, so did she sign it? And Betty said, not only did she sign it, she said, well, here's Ingrid Bergman. And so I turned around, oh, Ingrid Bergman. She said, have Ingrid Bergman sign your poster. And I was thinking to myself, but she's not in the show. But anyway, what can you do? So Ingrid Bergman signed the poster. And Bacall said, leave it here. And everybody you meet will sign this poster. And so because we went out all the time, and when the lunch oh. were there that time, with him with a patch over his eyes, when they signed the poster, Betty had a little paper clipped to the thing saying, please do not throw out. And as he signed L-U-N, when he made the T, he went on the paper that said, do not throw out. So after they left, we took scissors and cut out the T and glued it back on the poster. But I have that poster, and it has everybody in show business on it and over. And uh, it, it's something that I treasure. But Betty was that kind of person. I mean, she, uh, you know, was very giving and, and a wonderful, wonderful friend. And by the way, so was Ann Baxter. Ann Baxter yeah. was yeah. a terrific. And for all of us, those two women were, you know, not only good actresses, but also wonderful people. And Leroy, <laughs> Bacall came to see me at, on, at opening night of that show I did with, it's called Straws in the Wind that Betty Nadal did and Phyllis directed. She came back at that opening night party. She, we hadn't seen each other since the whole, the whole time. And she walked up, she said, oh, Brandon. I said, hi. She said, Brandon, keep practicing. And she walked. <laughs>
<laughs> Great uh, sense of humor. Uh, uh, she had a wicked sense of humor, but I loved yeah. it. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. So there we are. You know, Charles, there's a line in the show that, uh, and, and it's unfortunately they couldn't use the line from the movie where Thelma Ritter and the movie said everything but the hounds are yapping at her rear end. And of course they changed it to, wow, it's like being back in group therapy. And that's what this has seemed like to me today. That we're all in group therapy. <laughs> yeah, but I got kicked out so many times. I feel like I need another therapy session. <laughs> we'll send you Every the time recording. Time that's right. Yeah. You did very well, Trini. Yeah. Thank you. Kept Thank making you. an entrance. Every good actress likes to make an entrance. <laughs> you kept making an entrance. We were all glad yeah, to well, see you. And then, <laughs> can I tell you a really quick, silly sidebar to the Penny coming in story? Yeah. So, Go ahead. so I'm the young press agent, and I am finally going to be sent to Baltimore to cover an interview that Diane was scheduled to do. And between the time I left the office and the time I got to the airport, something happened. And I was paged at the airport in New York. And they said, you're not covering that interview. And I didn't know what had happened. I had no idea. But you're still going to Baltimore. So I go to Baltimore and I arrive in Baltimore. And the, the leading actors in the show knew who I was. But the chorus people really didn't because we hadn't had very much interaction at that point. And so suddenly I was around and I was backstage and I was around. And as you say, there was, there was a buzz that something was happening. And Jean Foote, the aforementioned Jean Foote, came up to me mm -hmm. and said, we have all discussed it, and we think you are the new Eve Harrington. Well, I missed all that. <laughs> I'll tell you later, Penny. Okay. okay. <laughs> anyway, it was, of course, it was ridiculous. But it was like, I was the only, like, new face that nobody could pin to a specific job or a specific role or something. And so for like, you know, half an hour, the rumor was that I was Eve Harrington. And of course, <laughs> needless to say, I was not Eve Harrington, the new Eve Harrington, and it was Penny. But it was like <laughs> Jean Foote. You were the Eve Harrington <laughs> in the press office. I guess, I, I guess so. <laughs> Although I don't know who I was. Uh, uh, undermining i don't know <laughs> very funny well i'd love to um close by asking all of you one question which is what do you think was the magic of applause that it was such a hit and let's start with you marilyn to answer that oh, oh that's a hard question to ask uh what made it a hit um well see i i i was with it and then i left and then i went back with it so it's hard for me to say because it was a hit i just think it was a wonderful show um i don't know what yeah what more to say about that because as i said i left and then i came back and it was like i was it was like mixed kind of a thing but i loved the cast i mean and and i i just enjoy doing the show yeah that's all i have to say and brandon what do you think about that question why it was but several things that one the the, the New York needed a hit at that time. And when we came in, it's like we blinked an eye, did a preview, opened, and boom, rave, you know, pretty, uh, 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 
nominations and everything, and we won the Tonys and, and everything, and it was it was a big boost. It, it happened at the right time. It plus it was a good show, and we had you know with Bacall and Lynn and Penny and Leroy and, and others. It was just, it was just supposed to happen at that time, I think. And it was, of course, the iconic coming from the iconic story, you know, of the movie and the book before that in, in the story. And uh, every, like Lynn said, everybody in the world came. So it it just it just had a wonderful opening right to the <laughs> it was promoted like crazy and yeah. and uh, it said boom that was it i mean that was a big part of yeah. it yeah and susan what why do you think that it was i think part of it was that in those days shows were created around a star and that doesn't happen anymore and so they, uh, Comden and Green and Adam Strauss and Ron and everybody created applause around what Betty brought to the show. And they took all of her, you know, persona, her skills, her, her you know, whatever was limited, they presented it in a way that made her shine. And if you think about it, that doesn't happen very often anymore. Now somebody is cast to fit into a show that has already been written. And I think that was part of it because it, there have been a couple of revivals and none of them have worked because it was so specifically a time and a place and a persona that, you know, was very specific. Yeah. yeah. And Leroy, what do you think about this question? Well, again, you had all professional experienced people doing it. First of all, you had a strong story. Uh, so the plot worked. You had two professional people and the writers of Compton and Green to adapt it, but they couldn't use the movie script, unfortunately, but they did a good, and also Charles Strauss and Lee Adams wrote a, a good score and a wonderful number and applause. And then you had a major movie star surprising people that she could be on a stage singing and dancing. And you had very professional actors who knew what they were doing. And as I mentioned before, because Penny didn't hear it, and Penny Fuller's performance. Uh, that helped to make the show, I swear to you, that's what made it the hit. The people right. come to see Bacall, but it was Penny's performance that made the balance. And also uh, the gay thing that was unique uh, that Ron brought to it and that they had written, I think that was made it uh, a legendary now classic. But the show unfortunately has never been in the revival mode that it's worked past that, but it was at the right time with the right combination of people. And uh, that's why it was a hit and alarm because star power. And I'd love to give you the final word of this program, Penny, about why you think that this was... Oh, well, I just have to tell one thing before I say that about Bacall. You know, she's such a tough broad, blah, 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 blah. But she was 18 or 19 years old when she went out to Hollywood. So any acerbic qualities kept her alive. But she had a very wonderful relationship with her mother. And her mother died. And she was she was really rocked by that and she still was and it was some years before and during the show my mother died and she wrote me the most profound letter about that event that I have of course till this day but that 
I just wanted to say that the tough bra that we all know, and thank God she was tough or we wouldn't have her from what she went through. She was a real mensch. She was a wonderful, caring human being. Now, why do I think the show was, I would say all the things that they've said and because persona, but it is a great story. It is a classic story. And you begin with that and then you put a major star like that in it. And even with the flaws that it had, I don't think it could miss with that persona that she had and that story. And, and also just to elaborate a little bit more about dying, during the takeover between Bacall and uh, Ann Baxter, my mother died. Oh, that's right. And oh. I went down to Kentucky and uh, I got a call over the weekend uh, from Larry Kasher the producer who said, you've got to come back because Bacall is hysterical that you're not gonna be here for her closing. And she's driving everybody crazy because she doesn't like the understudy. And he said, you've got to come back. And he said, and also Ann Baxter does not want to open the show with the critics until you're back in the cast because she wants that to be there. And I said, what am I gonna do? My mother is dying. And my sister said to me, well, what would mother say to you? I said, mother would say, go back and do your show. They said, well, that's what you must do. So I, and I flew back in and I closed the call, which was a great night. Then we had the put in for uh, uh, Anne and we opened then as soon as the opening night, I was ready to go. Now during my, me being out of town with my mother, the call called me twice a day in the morning when she got up and when she went to the theater in the evening. And she said, do you need to have my heart doctor come down to see your mother? I'll, I'll have him fly down. She said, cause she, we had that mother thing as we all did. And uh, then when I opened with uh, Baxter, I was leaving the next day to go back. Thank God my mother was still there. She died shortly thereafter, but on my dressing table was an envelope with a round trip ticket and a hundred dollars. And I knew who it came from. I knew it came from Ann Baxter. So oh. I went by her dressing room to thank her and her um, uh, assistant uh, lady who dressed her said, please don't, Ann feel so terrible about you coming. And I said, no, no, I know that she did this and I have to thank her because there was no note attached. And by the way, the producers uh, didn't reimburse me for my airfare and I was docked for the time I was away. So that's show business. But as far as those two ladies are concerned, that's who we worked with. They were fabulous. And, and Ann Baxter's book, Intermission, by the way, I recommend to everyone to read. It's a brilliant book. I don't know why Meryl Streep never bought it and made a movie of it, but it's a wonderful story about her time in the bush country with her husband. And uh, that's it, our mothers. Yeah. Leroy, it, you, I do know that speaking, how you said, don't, don't let anybody come in unless they bring in pearls and mink to the floor. What did you give your mother before she died? A mink coat. A mink yep. coat. Yeah. I, I always said I was going to buy it for her, but the funny story is that uh, uh, Larry's ass assistant lady, and you said her name, Phyllis. Phyllis. Yeah, she uh, worked, uh, she had contact with, with uh, Forrest, Michael Forrest Furs. And the wonderful designer who worked for him, who Betty Comden always used, I can't think of his name now, uh, he designed the fur coat for my mother. So I got an inside price because of Phyllis. But anyway, it was a dark natural ranch mink. And I was so proud and at Christmas I gave it to her. And when she took off the box and she looked at the coat, she said, 
I thought it'd be one of them blonde ones with a big hood that goes over your head like Betty Grable used to wear in the movies. <laughs> so <laughs> I could have gone to the Ritz thrift shop and got something similar, but anyway, but I got her the fur coat. She didn't get to wear it very long, but she got it. Oh. Leroy, tell them what your mother used to call you. Oh, the best looking thing on that stage. That and Mama's Little Hothouse Flower. <laughs> Mama's Little Hothouse Flower, <laughs> yes. And oh. I was and still am. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And ours too. Well, uh, Charles, what a wonderful thing yeah. you've done here. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. I, I, I didn't get to see much of it, but I enjoyed it. Because <laughs> every time it would get juicy, I would disappear. And you would disappear. It was very frustrating. Great to have great memories in your heart, and then to have somebody bring them out and to see all those guys that I haven't seen in so many years. Thank you, Charles. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Thank all of you for doing that. It's been just wonderful. And, and also, congratulations, Charles. Thank we're you. So, we're so impressed, Charles, that first of all, that you're even interested in hearing all of yeah. the war stories. And uh, it's, 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 it gives me hope for the future. Yeah, like I say, Charles Kurtz is a breath of fresh air. Yes. And with a, a big hope if it, any more young people come up like him, Broadway's going to come back bigger come back. than ever. That's right. Well, I keep saying awesome. Charles is going to be the king of Broadway in 20 years. There you go. Bobby will. Applause, applause, Come to us.